Good morning. Good morning. Amen. It's good to be about that good morning today. And we want to welcome those by way of television and radio this morning by Olivet Methodist Church in Sunny, Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Um, we appreciate our 9 a.m. Um, radio station and our local television station being a privilege and the opportunity to bring our messages to you today. Uh, my name is Dr. Randy Gaber. I have served here for 23 years. I've been a Methodist minister for 46. And I was looking back, and I, my first sermon I gave was 52 years ago during confirmation. And I still remember the topic. It was entitled, What is Sin? What is Sin? And I took the SI and I, the S was um, self, interest, and neglect. Self, interest, and neglect. And I took those three words and I, I developed a, a message that was supposed to be five minutes long to allow the other confirmation students to share that five minute sermon turned into um, almost 17 minutes. I don't know how that happened, you know, because I struggled with, with the five minutes at first. But we want to welcome you to um, all of the United Methodist Church here in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, and the north end of Sanborn Park, Lake Crystal. And this morning, if you turn in your in your uh, bulletins, this morning you'll notice um, uh, a limited order service. And I believe I gave my bulletins away. Mike, do you happen to have a bulletin that I can borrow or buy from you? I want to give you a raise. All the way from Arizona. Let us um, turn. And normally we would begin with the, uh, the insert which has a couple of hymns on there. We won't be singing these hymns, but we'll be responding with that. And Chris, you can provide the app, a bulletin, a bulletin of gold, a bulletin of gold. He is willing to give this additional bulletin out this morning. And since we can't sing, since we can't sing, we're going to responsibly read it. And I trust this is true in your life, that you have a Savior. And if we can respond, I'll take the odd number verses, and you take the even number verses. I have a Savior, He's pleading glory, a dear loving Savior. Though earth friends be few, and now He's watching in tenderness me, but I owe oh, that my Savior were your Savior too. For you and I am praying, for you and I am praying, for you and I am praying. My Savior alone is just an offering giver. And oh, 
given to you. For you I am praying, for you I am praying, for you I am praying, I am praying for you.
parables to instruct people. It's easier to remember a story and it's lesson than it is to remember particular details of the story. We may forget specific story details, but the substance and meaning of the story is much easier to remember and maintain. The Lord highlighted this fact after being asked why he taught the parables. His answer was that it's all for a name to do the Holy Spirit more easily understand the lesson. Greek word parable means to place things alongside each other for comparison. Another way to say this is a parable is based on comparing one ordinary object to another. The first parable is told is the parable of the sower. Now this sower was Jesus himself. The sower was spreading seed. Consider seed of faith. It hopes to gather a large harvest. Harvest what? What does Jesus harvest? Souls. Every soul on earth. Jesus harvest. The first group of seeds fell upon the walking, hard walking path. As it was soldier, it fell on a hard walking wall. This fallen seed was immediately swallowed up by hungry birds. These hungry birds, I assume, was evil one. He came down, saw the souls that were just starting to grow, picked them up for food. The second group of bees, which will consider faith, fell upon the rocky hard soil. They sprung up and even began to slowly grow. But because these roots did not grow deep in the soil, they were unable to achieve a free tree life in water. These particular seeds were scorched and burned up when the normally life-giving sun shone. In other words, without the roots of faith, the tribulations of persecution come, those who are unrooted, or don't have faith, wither and die. Another portion of the sower seeds falls on the ground amongst thorns or weeds. These seeds for weeds grew deeply in had probably deep, deep roots. They sold the vital resource of sunlight and water as these young probably sold them to nurture them. These young Christians of seed were finally choked up by the thorn and stole the life made of water and sun so that these seeds could fruitless and barren. The last portion of the sower seeds fell on the good soil. Remember, soil equals faith. These seeds grew roots deeply in the soil and got plenty of water and sunlight. I'm not talking about isolation, I'm talking about isolation. Sun. These seeds became fruitful and yielded a larger harvest compared to the amount of seeds that was originally sown. In this case, it produced 39. 60 and 100 times more than the amount of seed that was sold. Share your faith, multiply the Lord's harvest. It's honest, it's just right honest. It's for desire and Share our faith with others. That would be a great harvest of changes. Despite being eyewitness of Jesus, some of the miracles. 
we never um, drank or smoked. We always tried thinking good thoughts and everything. And, you know, we, we felt we were kind of invincible. And suddenly we didn't realize, you know, that, that cancer, that word cancer fits all of us. And, um, and I do continue to pray for, for the show Aaron and Randy Tabor. And, and many of you have asked him about my, my brother-in-law. You know, when I think of the fact that um, what, what I'm going through with all of my um, radiation and that, and the um, chemicals that are in my system, I think of my brother-in-law, who just is the kindest, greatest guy he worshiped with us periodically, and he come here, he's kind of supported the church and that, and, um, you know, never married, hardly ever dated, just a swell guy, and just here a few weeks ago, he was, he was struck by a, a massive stroke, and just crippled and paralyzed his one side, and he can't talk, he can't really eat. Um, um, we were notified just a day or two ago that he fell out of his bed um, the second time. And when I grew up, we could have those those um, railings, but now I guess they kind of all about those nursing homes. I don't know if people have um, um, choked with them. Are you able to hear me? I can hardly hear myself speak because of the fans that behind me, I'm hoping that you're hearing it by way of television. We're kind of caught between uh, being too hot. And those of you by way of television have, have called and sent letters and reminded me about hot flashes. And boy, you can be one minute and cool and the next minute it just feels like your head is going to explode from those hot flashes from hormone therapy and, uh, and the radiation. So do appreciate your thoughts and do appreciate your prayers. And growing up in the farm, I, I knew the importance of preparation of the soil, S-O-I-L. But also, I learned the importance of the preparation of the soul, S-O-U-L. And as Mike was sharing from scripture, and I don't think I need to reiterate too much on, on the scripture and what has been shared, but we all have kind of a sense of, of our soul, our S-O-U-L. And that destination of that soul is kind of largely dependent upon the soil and our preparation of our life in here and our fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and meekness and gentleness and kindness and self-control, the fruits of the spirit and how we demonstrate that in our lives. God doesn't, isn't so concerned about your profession as your confession and, and, and your deliberation in life and your actions in life. Because faith without works is, according to James, the brother of Jesus, is, is almost fruitless. You and I are all called to bear fruits. And it's that bearing and it's that witness that we're going to be held accountable for it. Someday. Oftentimes, my radio listeners and television listeners will appreciate the fact that we take authority, the authority of Scripture, very seriously here. 
oftentimes the comments I receive is that they can listen to many Christian programs and not hear the word Jesus even mentioned. Can you imagine that going to a church or a religious assembly and not hearing the word of Jesus or the Bible being presented or elevated? That's a real fruitless church. That's a real fruitless assembly. Um, I oftentimes wonder, as I mentioned in my prayer, how people will use the name of Jesus in vain. They'll cuss and they'll swear and they'll, they're never, they never, I've never heard somebody say, oh, Buddha, or oh, Confucius, or it's always Jesus, Christ, that they use in vain. Folks using Jesus' name in vain. Why is such a vicious reaction at the mention of, of someone who has never hurt anyone? Jesus never hurt a slave. He never welded a weapon. He never discriminated on the basis of gender or race or age and never incited anyone to violence. And all those expectatives that they couldn't wipe out um, on the news media and four-letter words and the use of Jesus' name in vain. All Jesus did was agonize on the cross for no other crime than acknowledging that Jesus, he was who he said he was, the son of a loving God. Ironically, from the very same cross, Jesus provided what is needed to answer that question. I spoke yesterday to a young gentleman who was a, a counselor of counselors. I believe he's a, in a bi-relational marriage, um, wonderful wife, wonderful little son. He was a counselor among counselors. And I asked him what the, what the cure for all this animosity is in, in the world. And he said, it was Jesus and, and, and love it. And I think just in the um, 15 or 20 minutes that we had conversations with him every, every moment, he, he was using the name of Jesus and he was saying it in such a loving name, it's the love of God that's liberating us. And I, he looked just like Michael Jordan and he was a ball player and he was very athletic and very caring. And he said again and again that if the students come back to school, he's telling the counselors just, just to share the love of God and, and, and love. Ironically, from the very same cross, Jesus provided what is needed to answer that question also. Out of the torment of insults and the torments of mockery being hurled at Jesus by the people he had healed, he had actually healed. He lifted his voice towards the heaven and he pleaded, according to Luke chapter 23, 34. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And the world hates Jesus because it does not know Jesus. It does not know Jesus. And that's why it's so important for you and I to um, share the good news of Jesus, the one who they hate is, is just a character. It's a character. 
It's a misrepresentation of the real Jesus. Jesus is not to be our enemy, but is to be the best friend that we ever have. And that's why Gary and Lee shared that musical number, and that's why I wanted you to look at those hymns. And Most of the hymns are always elevating Jesus and proclaiming him as the Son of God. You may ask today, will the real Jesus stand up? The main obstacle to discovering the real Jesus is not related to a character or the record of his actions while on earth, but the real Jesus is really unassailable. There is, there is substantive agreement even among those who do not believe, who do not believe in his divine nature, that he was one of the most fruitful persons that ever existed. That he was an excellent person who genuinely cared, truly cared about others. Jesus cataloged as evildoers, people who claimed they had done what, what today are considered um, maybe legitimate church and ministry activities. He had problems with the scribes and the Pharisees and the rulers of the day because they did a lot of talk and it was not followed by action. The problem lies erroneously in perception that Jesus was somewhat this more holier than thou hermit whose teachings were somewhat ethereal and whose actions made no contribution to society. But those who really truly investigate the, the Bible, he not only talked the talk, but he walked the walk. One of the most intriguing passages in the Gospels, however, is the one coming with the judgment. Jesus says, the judgment of the nations, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 32, where he says that all the nations shall be gathered before him. And, and judgment will occur, will be disclosed, and, and some will inherit, some will inherit the kingdom and others will not be accepted. Some will be reprimanded to an eternal fire in verses 34 and 41. We from this pulpit and from this church, we've talked a lot about the point and the basis of admission that it's not only talking the talk, but it's walking the walk. The basis of admission was a sense of our socialness and our, our willing to feed the hungry, to clothe the neck naked, to tend the sick and the caring for those that are in prisons, whether it's the prison of your mind or your body and soul or the spirit. In other words, the standard was not what people professed. I know we're gonna make it, we will say Day. One story ends and another begins. We could never do it without our friends. When we stand united, we will find a way. Oh, oh, we come so far. We fight so hard to get where we are. Oh, oh, we found our destiny. that put him in his position to be 
the judge of the nations based on their commitment to the down and the out. From what could Jesus possibly know about social issues? Didn't Jesus come from heaven and wasn't he returning unto heaven? And I'm convinced that in the same fashion that we, we fail to capture the full scope of the atonement that he wanted to make us at one with God, at peace with ourselves and at one with God, that he redeemed not just people, but the full scope of the atonement was everything that was lost. We also fall short of grasping the full extent of his incarnation, the word becoming flesh. As a result, we fail to represent Jesus properly. I submit that Jesus belongs more in the marketplace than in the monastery. Because we come to learn, we, we leave to serve, because that Jesus belongs more in the marketplace than in the monastery, because Jesus was fully incarnated into the affairs of the world and into the institutions of the world. The Incarnation is a is an central, eternal doctrine that states that God assumed human nature and, and, and that God also became a person, a man, that no other religion can possibly test, attest to and adhere to. A man in the form of Jesus Christ, as we learn in John chapter 1, verse 14, and Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, and Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. It reveals his total identification with, with whom he came to save, such as you and I. Jesus became one of them and, and sharing their humanity. Hebrews chapter 4.15 tells it very plainly. For we do not have a high priest, a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are without sin. The main message here is that because Jesus experienced what we face, he faced all temptations, he fully understands our struggles, and Jesus overcame them. Jesus can show us how to do the same. Even nowadays, we, we would more readily clothe Jesus as a teacher in some rabbinical garb than as a business person in a three-piece suit, engaged in everyday affairs in the marketplace. Yet the latter is precisely the image presented in the Gospels. Jesus spent the bulk, the bulk of his life in the marketplace with those who were like you and I, earthly, he was born not in a temple, not in a hospital, or in a synagogue, not even in a home, but he was born in a stable, a place of business, an inn, according to Luke chapter 2, verse 7. His first visitors were shepherds, low-ranking workers, according to verses 15 through 20. Jesus lived most of his life in the marketplace, his neighbors in Nazareth, after hearing his eloquent pronouncement from the prophet Isaiah, proclaimed, 
Is not this the carpenter, the son of Joseph and Mary? Mark chapter 6, 3. They made Jesus into a trade, a trade in the marketplace more than a preacher. They, their neighbors, their friends, portrayed him more as a business person. Since many, probably many of his customers probably purchased products made by the hands of Jesus, I suspect that the tables that they used were made by, by Jesus and, and, and the homes that were secured by the doors that Jesus made, built. Their houses could have had to be caught and fit by the Savior. Even so, their oxen, their animals may have worn the items, the yokes that Jesus made. Jesus did not do carpentry only as a hobby. Jesus did it as a living. And this required that Jesus ran his shop at, at a profit. Daily business routine involved relating to the costs of goods and labor, gauging the interplay between return, the ROI of the day, the return on investment, and Jesus had to factor in the cost of maintenance and, and, and other equipment. And although it may be unusual for us to picture it, profitable labor was an integral part of Jesus' life. His instruction that it is more blessed to give than to receive, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 35, reveals that he had to acquire goods and in order to give away, and he was one of the greatest givers. He had to go about as an itinerant minister. Reveals that he had the means, the means to acquire goods to be given away since he practiced, always practiced what he preached. And all of the above should be enough to quench the notion of Jesus whom we, we may tend to picture. It is true that Jesus spent long hours in prayer, but he usually did it at night, according to Matthew chapter 14, 23. And, and during the day, Jesus interacted with all sorts of people in, in societal settings, not approved, not approved by the religious leaders of his day. And that gave Jesus a, a reputation as a friend that, of sinners. Scripture reminds us that the Son of Man came eating and drinking among us. And I thought about that yesterday as we had such a fun time and a good time of fellowship. Jesus told parables about our ability to receive a seed from God and then to produce an abundant harvest. If we are good soil, if we're good soil, S-O-I-L, if we have a good soul, S-O-U-L, we'll be amazed, we'll be amazed how God can use us and we'll be amazed at what is created.
I end by telling you this true story that when Ralph Waldo Emerson moved to a house in Concord, Massachusetts, this great philosopher, Ralph Waldo Emerson, was particularly thrilled with his orchards. He was a man known as a great orator, but also known for his orchards. And Ralph Waldo Emerson spent time each morning tending his pear trees. And he did some of his writing in the orchard, and he also welcomed his friends in the orchards. And Emerson sent some of his pears, his pears, his prized pears to the local cattle show. And, and he was pleased when he received a visit from the Horticultural Society. And they asked Mr. Emerson whether they might examine, examine his trees. And Emerson was thrilled and he was pleased to receive them, but then he discovered that they had not come to congratulate him. No, they had come to look at the soil, S-O-I-L, that it produced, in their words, such lousy, lousy pears. In the Gospel according to Matthew, Jesus tells this poor parable of the, of, the, of the sower. And like Emerson's horticultural society, Jesus associated the success of a crop with the quality of the soil beneath it, that one's S-O-U-L is dependent upon the S-O-I-L. Jesus often used parables in his teachings, stories that were based on situations in everyday life and appeared to be quite simple, but conveyed a, a much different, deeper, virtual meaning. Scholars believe that Jesus used this message of teaching the parables because it gave such vivid, memorable expression to his teachings. Once you heard a parable, you were not likely to forget it. This message also led those who heard to reflect and to believe. Jesus' words and bear responsibility for the decision to accept or oppose his teachings. Parables are never intended to be preaching or full of harsh commandments. Instead, they present their, their message. They present their message through stories that you are invited to accept or reject. Father, this morning there may be those by way of television or radio that, that have not made a decision for Jesus Christ. They, they may be hope so or think so or feel so Christians, but they, they don't truly know so. They may authentically believe in this genuine Jesus as a historical figure, but not as the Son of God. They may believe in the historical Jesus, but not as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, their Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and those by way of television and radio, they can find a special spot 
John Wesley's mother, Susanna, would just take her apron and throw it over her head. And, and when the children realized that she was in prayer for them and, and others, we can just stand wherever we're at. We can just close our eyes and we can repeat these words. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I've sinned in things I've done or left undone. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Come into my heart and life. Empower me, O Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer by way of television or by way of radio and you want some follow-up material, do, do let us know. Do send us um, your word and, and do give me a call. You can give me a personal call on my cell phone, 612. 590-3981. That's Dr. Randy Tabor, 612-590-3981. At this time, let us continue in, in worship as we turn to uh, conclude. And I believe what we need to do at this time, because we're kind of running short in time, is we're going to open it up to them. any personal announcements or sharing. I think that Kathy, you had one of the announcements. And if you have other announcements, you want to make your way forward. And, and I believe you can make that um, announcement, Kathy, on the um, mic here. And all of the United Methodist Church always invites you to our worship service. And, and we do a, a virtual um, Bible study on Wednesdays, and, um, um, and we're dealing with the book of Revelation right now. And do let us know if you'd like to be a part of that study. Okay, um, in your bulletins, you have uh, an insert on the back of the, the music that we spoke, and it's called The Man's Not in the Church. It's a series of four webinars. So you need an internet connection and a device, a computer, laptop.
Now I want you to make like a monovision thing and just try to look through that. And that's what happens when um, some people with dementia, not everybody experiences that, but so one of the things to use that information with is when you are approaching someone with dementia, do not come up from the back or from the sides, but come from the front. But if you come directly from the front, think about how ominous that might kind of look. So kind of just take a little step out to the side and approach somebody that way. Now, if you are interested at all in, in hearing more about this, these webinars are, are very good. She um, ran out of time, and so the next one she will continue. It's called Tools for Connecting with People Living with Dementia and When Behaviors Are Changing or Challenging. And this will be, you can the side part here did not print off, but if you look at the underlying portion, the date will be in there. And also, it's the, the web address of umcdiscipleship.org. And you sign up ahead of time, they send you a link when it's the exact date and time, or five minutes before, you go to that email where you have that link, and you click join. It's that easy. Um, they're free, and they're very, very valuable. So I would encourage everybody to just uh, try one out. Thank you. Thank you again, and not for yourself, for others, because um, we're living in a society when um, we're all growing older and the limitations. Do we have any other announcements that want to come forward and use the mic? That's another criticism I oftentimes receive. People don't use the mic. We can't hear them. We can't read their lips. So Mike, you can either go for my wife, whoever gets to the mic first. Wanted to say those are all at noon, right, Kathy? Yes. They all start at 12 noon. And I just want to give a, a heads up and all call or a shout out to Darwin and Aaron. They provided a beautiful flower down the altar this morning. Yes. Darwin and Aaron. If you see dead weeds on the parking lot, Darwin and Aaron take care of There's one weed that I um, would step on just about every day for this past week. And we were, Darwin and Maryland, were seeing we can't stand on it. It just wasn't going down, and Maryland reaches down, just pulls it out. So I just appreciate so many people that make sure that, you know, the parking lot was good. You know, that's, that's the third thing on the list of why people will join the church. Number one, is how friendly the congregation is. What do you think the second one is? How friendly the congregation is, how accessible it is to get into the church. They want to get into the church and they want to leave just in case they didn't like the church. They want to get out of the church and they don't want to be approached. And thirdly is a visual of the church. How well the people think of the church and they take care of the church. And it's much lower on the list of preaching and the songs and the hymns. And, you know, we got to get them into the church first. And, you know, the visuals on the church, you know, how the paint looks and how the parking lot looks. One of my friends is a consultant and an analyst. He goes around and 
disturbing things he has to tell the congregation is that, you know, the parking lot looks bad. And the second thing is, their washrooms, their washrooms are not cared for. So, um, you know, it's, you may think it's sometimes the big things that attract people to church, and, you know, but in the minds and hearts of people, you know, there's big and little things. Mike, did you have an announcement? Or did I make it for you? So, welcome. Mike is walking a little bit more slowly than he's after his two week break. I just, I just wanted to share that something I've learned from the lesson we studied today is the all-loving, all-merciful God plus the seed, seed sower, right? He didn't just walk up to the good soil and sow seeds. He threw it where he knew it would grow. He knew where it would grow just little and then die out. The fact is he is so merciful and so loving, he, he threw that seed everywhere, even in a place where he knew it would grow. That's how thankful, I'm so thankful for how loving and merciful he is. And talk about unfaithfulness. People that don't accept that, his mercy and loving action, just feel like they're sad, they just don't get it. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thanks, Mike. Would you stand with me and turn to your bulletin and answer? I must tell Jesus all my trials. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens 